Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is the Verstappen Cooldown Podcast, Red Fluffy Chair Edition. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Welcome to the Japanese Grand Prix Race Review. That race was fun for a little while, and then it was not fun for ages, and then fun for a little bit longer towards the end. So it was certainly a race where the off-track drama of things outweighed maybe the on-track action. That might be reflected in the balance of the show, but I will make sure that we focus on as much of the action as we can before we start going, oh, regulation 187.3 Annex F says this. But don't worry, we are going to argue about regulation 187.3 Annex F. Don't worry about that. But I must start by saying a massive congratulations to Max Verstappen, who probably isn't listening. Uh, But we do know that the odd people from teams listen. So congratulations to any Red Bull team members listening. And more realistically, I think congratulations to any Verstappen or Red Bull fans listening. I'd like to extend the warmest possible congratulations to you guys because that season was frankly a blowout. You guys were doing 360 spin dunks, 40 points ahead in the third uh, down. I don't really understand American sports, but that driver and car lineup was amazing it'd be a very strong ferrari car maybe not team and over the years you know it's it's overturned that mercedes dominance as well all of this in challenging new regulations in a new area era of f1 with a really tight budget with the biggest spotlight on it that f1 has ever had in its history and whether ferrari and mercedes were doing well or throwing away points red bull were there constantly throughout the season Amazing pit stops, amazing driving, great strategy, incredible teamwork. And the few mistakes they did make were in a massive margin that they'd earned themselves. And that margin was barely used. I can think of a couple of mistakes that Verstappen did throughout the season. 
But apart from that, he delivered weekend after weekend. And I can think of, yeah, maybe one or two moments, a spin at Hungary being blown off the track at Barcelona. Apart from that, you have to say that any other driver, apart from a handful throughout F1 history, would be making this championship look a lot closer than it was. So the domination and the, and the blowout of it is in, uh, in no small part down to Max Verstappen. But you also have to say Red Bull have produced one of the most dominant cars in F1 history. It's up there with the monster 2014 Mercedes, the 2011 Red Bull, and those horrible F1 ruining beast Ferraris at the turn of the century. I just genuinely wish that it had been announced better because we deserved the screaming into the helmet. We deserve that release of emotion. We deserve that Max Verstappen is world champion. So coming up, we'll discuss, was this the biggest blowout of the century so far? Just how good is that Red Bull team? Should the title really have been decided technically today? Uh, we'll discuss, should we stop praying for rain to spice up the show? Because I'm not sure it does. We'll also ask some serious questions about the FIA. Have they lost the battle of hearts and minds? with the ordinary fans, and have they lost that same battle with Liberty Media themselves? Because they got a lot wrong today. Um, much. Too much. Um, of course, we'll discuss the heart-stopping moment between Gasly and an on-track recovery vehicle on a wet racetrack in Suzuka. That's all a bit too soon for me. But we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. I looked at my browser this morning and I had the sporting regs open in four separate tabs. Brad filled in for the mailbag show. He was hosting instead of me. I just want to ask, did you, uh, did you enjoy being hosted by Brad? Was he, was he better than me? Oh, I'm sure I have a comment about that. Did he, did he let you, did he, did you finish all your points? He didn't. Yes. Yes. I, I, actually, the hilarious thing is I think <laughs> both uh, Stevens and I were on our very, very, very best behavior. Aww. So we didn't we did, he didn't really get the full test yet. OK, next time we're also joined by Chris Catman Turner. Hey, Chris. Hey, Spammers. Delayed gratification definitely makes the dessert taste sweeter, doesn't it? OK, that sounds wise. And just to double check, you haven't lined up a humiliating quiz to make up for the lack of racing action. Not today, although I was tempted in the multiple hour break to make up something. <laughs> and we're also joined by TikTok star Antonia Rankin. Hey, Antonia. Hi. Yeah, I used to love wet races. But now... Such a shame. There's, I feel like I dread them now. As a young person, I think we should tell you, Antonia, in the olden days, we used to, we used to race in the wet. <laughs> it, it didn't used to always be like this. And I think we'll talk about a lot about why uh, the current generation of tyres is contributing to that. So join me and my panel as we find out where the race was won and lost. Okay, Matt, I think let's get straight into the action. Uh, when there was that long rain delay, I assumed that we were going to have to start delving into things that happened in qualifying and i think we actually won't get to it because so much did unfold and was intriguing throughout the course of the race well yeah and if you're asking i'm going to say are we talking about today's race or are we talking about the whole championship but for the racing itself i think you'd have to get to about the um third lap for the most part after the restart when it became very very apparent that the enters were much, much, much quicker than the wet tires. 
Ah, so you've made it about tyres somehow. Well, that's an interesting new twist on your podcasting career. Indeed, or about the pit stops required to make that happen. Yeah, so the, I mean, the strategy did come into it a little bit. I think the only kind of intriguing thing was that crossover point, or we thought initially it was going to be that crossover point between wets and inters, but really it was it was almost a no-brainer and immediate. And then there was the question of, oh, would people want to go on to new inters? But it was it was really nullified by the short amount of racing that we had in that second restart. Yeah, and and in that, the weather played the largest part because we did sit for those of us on the East Coast from one o'clock till, oh, I don't know, 3.30 or so before anything really actually happened. But um, the, the race was really down to the first two or three laps running on the enters. And then the Ferrari munched its tires and that was that. It did. And it's such a shame because a lot of the racing was neutered by the wet. It's really hard to follow with the spray. And then that makes it very hard for anybody to overtake. And also it's those Alpines that are just too fast in a straight line again, causing more problems. Oh, yeah. Well, that was that was a gamble that um, Mercedes made. I think they were hoping for rain and and planted some downforce on, got the rain they wanted and then go, well, well, it's no good being uh, quick through the twisty bits at Suzuka. Yeah, that's the problem. And there's only one or two overtaking spots in Suzuka. And if you, and they're at the end of very, very long straights. So if you're a sitting duck, if you've got a wing the size of a barn door on the back of your car. But I think it's worth saying that the racing action, what little we did have, Antonio, was was pretty decent. And maybe people who haven't seen Suzuka in the dry won't appreciate that for us looking at it going, oh, actually, yeah, no, it was a little better in the wet. Just going to get you to unmute there, Antonio. A little better in the wet. Yeah, no, I 100% do think that Suzuka is, in its own right, a fantastic circuit. However, of course, the wet does add a new element to the race, you know, and in a race like today, of course, maybe a little bit little bit less wet might have been more enjoyable. However, it does add another dimension to the race. And I do think, you know, it adds, it adds something and it's exciting. Yeah, moves, for example, Matt, like George Russell on that last right-hander out of the S's into Dunlop, making overtakes around there yes against you know much slower cars but that wouldn't have been possible in the dry people would have been stuck there obviously you would have just been relying on drs passes but when we get into these wet conditions you get kind of a taste of what f1 was like pre loads of downforce and pre drs yeah and it's worth noting that we had not one but two very lengthy battles with cars well inside half half a second on each other and it was, despite the lack of actual overtaking in at least one of the cases, it was incredibly exciting to watch. Absolutely. So watching uh, them take different lines, watching Perez behind Leclerc and Hamilton behind Ocon, watching them take different of the karting line, as Brad Philpot puts it on his YouTube channel. Um, you know, it would be it, it was just fascinating to see if they could get that overlap to overtake. And I do want to mention at this point. Um, we have a real problem, which is that Verstappen was essentially drove away from the field after the red flag. So I want to bring up that very first battle at the start with Leclerc, the very, very first start, the standing start, that that I think sort of encapsulated the kind of season that he's had, because it's going to be hard to talk about him because he just disappeared off into the distance and just, you know, like was as surprised as the rest of us when it turned out he was also the uh, champion. 
Uh, yes, but the thing is, uh, Chris, we saw like in Brazil about three or four years ago, when it goes to the wet conditions, he seems to have this instinct for this karting line. And watching the drivers going around in the wet, say especially through the hairpin, you could see people playing, taking really, really different lines. So Perez, who, yes, I think everyone is catching on now, seems to be somewhat of a, a street circuit specialist, whatever that means and, and, and whatever that's come about, was taking a really tight line into the apex on the hairpin. But every single time, Leclerc was slingshotting around the outside. Fascinating to see. Yeah, that's it. So Perez was taking the more normal racing line because Leclerc was taking the more wet karting line. So the the racing line in normal dry conditions builds up a lot of rubber. And when that's in uh, got water on it, that becomes very, very greasy. So when you have to brake on that line or accelerate or even turn on that line, it's much less grippy. So you have, you'll come a little bit closer into the apex of your braking point, drift out wider. So it looks like you've actually missed the apex yes, completely, yeah. which invites a lovely little dive from, say, <laughs> Alonso on Hamilton, for example. Um, but then you get so much better traction if you can straighten the car quickly and actually get on back onto the bit where the marbles used to be, which is actually the grippier part of the circuit. And then you'll make a much better time that way. So it's fascinating to watch people taking different lines. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. One thing that the wet weather does do is really separate driving styles and it makes it a lot more pronounced Love than, it. say, in yeah. the drier conditions. So when we are in the wetter conditions, we see drivers like Charles, who are typically late breakers, early back on the throttle, same with Lando. And it's it's really interesting, actually, to compare how each driver approaches the wetter track, the, the dry line, the wetter line. I mean, something that really was very marked at the start of the race was Lance's fantastic eye for the drier side of the track. And that played really into his hands. That was exactly the example I was going to use. And I think in that case, it's not even just doing what Catman was saying, which is looking for the parts that are not rubbered in and therefore would have less standing water. Sometimes the skill, and you can try this on a wet track, uh, a cart track when you go there, is finding the different types of surface. So at Milton Keynes Daytona, on some of the hairpins, the inside curb, it would be very slippery, except there's some kind of corrugated concrete where the water drains away very quickly. So you throw yourself across the puddles, aquaplane across, look absolutely mad, catch the grip on the inside of the curb, and then you can sort of Colin McRae. Colin McRae was a rally driver, Antonia. Colin McRae round the inside of it, hooking into the curb. So what Stroll did on that start was, I think, identify a piece of tarmac that no one else wanted to use and absolutely flung it down the inside my boy really loved that he went did you see where stroll just sent it and we had to go and rewind and find it absolutely marvelous um catman then matt it was un- unfortunately opposite to where vettel found himself on the outside of the corner on that first corner which yeah. is just the wrong place to be in the wet well to me the one that i liked most was turn 11 which is the hairpin I had noticed Alonso, even in the dry qualifying, taking a wider line around that. Which one's turn 11, Matt? Use the, it, use the name so we sound smart. It's the hairpin on oh, the back on, think, the, on the way to 200R okay. and spoon. Thank I, you very I much. I think it's called hairpin, isn't it? I think it might even be yeah. called hairpin. So oh. I call it turn 11 because you know me. Okay. Anyway, he would take this longer line around the outside, even in dry qualifying. But what I noticed in both the Perez-Leclerc battles and the Alcon and Hamilton battles is that that line was the one where you couldn't get overtaken on exit if you took it. But mm. if you came up the inside, 
you looked like you were going to pass that person, but you couldn't get on the throttle soon enough and you just lost out all the way down to spoon. Jason's accused me of mansplaining with my, my rally reference. I'm not. I'm old splaining. That's what I was doing. I was old splaining. But a lot of times when we, we scramble to look around at where can we point to the bits where Verstappen was, you know, the difference, it's hard when you're in a dominant car because all year ago you're a dominant car, you're the number one driver, you've got a clear number two. How do we really judge how well you're doing? But uh, Chris, you know, days like this, we can really point to his performance and pulling away what, 20 seconds at ease? I very much doubt that is all car difference. Absolutely. And it would have been really lovely to have actually seen some of him on the track, but uh, he was so far ahead that the cameras didn't look at him once. Yeah, I think, as we've said before, the best way to judge a driver is by comparing them to their teammates. And the thing is with a driver like Verstappen, he is Mm. very well teamed up with a fantastic complementary partnership with Perez. And whilst we can say, oh, Perez did have an absolutely phenomenal race today, the absolute dominance of Verstappen this season has just been so emphatically good. You know, no driver on the grid has compared to him. And even when we do look at Checo, who is, again, doing a really fantastic job, he is just the completely deserving champion. I don't think there's any two ways about it. Yeah, so inevitably on this show, we are going to talk about him you know, winning the championship. And part of the skill of winning a championship is the career game. And it's hard to argue that he hasn't done that very well. You know, he cuckooed his way into Red Bull and he th- he pushed out, didn't he, the Ricardo egg. And the Ricardo egg splatted on the floor of Endstone, uh, never to fly again uh, at that level. Isn't that analogy not working? OK, I'll move on. But, you know, he really established himself as the, as the number one at Red Bull, Matt. He you know, established himself over Gasly, over Albon, over Ricardo, over you know, his teammates at Toro Rosso. They politicked well. He's now in a team that is all in behind him and, and he's doing everything right. Like this is, this is very, I know it's a cliche, but this is, this is the Schumacher way to do stuff. Hamilton doesn't do it like this. No, but to me, the difference this year is you could look at last year and make some arguments about how Verstappen drove his car. Okay, let's do that. They might be wrong. They might be right. (laughs) This season, any any argument you have is with Red Bull, the team, not Max, the driver. Max, the driver, was virtually impeccable across a whole season. And to me, that is a huge step and one that means that we're down for some great racing in the future. Yeah, I think the comparison to Schumacher is really interesting, actually, because it's a very win at all costs, Mm non-conservative approach to the championship. And we saw it a lot more last season. And I think that's in part owing to the fact that, of course, there was a very tight championship battle going on. You know, he hasn't necessarily had to get his elbows out that much this year. However, again, he's been absolutely ruthless, you know, and not even in a challenging the regulations way, just in getting his head down and doing what he needs to do every single race. He hasn't stumbled in any aspect, you know, in a similar way that I guess Charles might have been argued to have done. He's made a few more mistakes, you know. Verstappen has been, in almost every sense, pretty flawless. I looked at the way he responded to how he was told, and don't worry, we'll go into that, how he was told, you know, you're the world champion. And he was very kind of nonplussed, like, oh, really, am I? Are you sure? Yeah, I am. Here's a big chair to sit on. Okay, I'll sit in the chair. Yeah, I look ridiculous. I'm not sitting in this chair anymore. And he was asked, how are you celebrating tonight? And he went, I'm going to go home. You know, there's this self-belief in him that, yeah, of course, of course I've picked up another world championship. I'm Max Verstappen. And I asked my son to compare that to his reaction when he flips over a partially filled water bottle and it lands upright and he starts running around screaming. I'm like, please, can we get some perspective on achievements, boy. Uh, Catman, sorry. 
I think you've got to start somewhere. <laughs> I think <laughs> the thing that Matt was saying, though, about um, good racing to come in the future, I think I, I am slightly worried because I don't see anyone reaching Max's level right now. And obviously Red Ooh, Bull are the team to beat. I don't see anybody meet, meeting Red Bull standards. And then they've got Max on top of that. I, I think that's an unstoppable package for a number of years to come. Oh, okay. Maybe we should actually, maybe we should put that to the panel. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll start with this. While you're thinking about Catman's question, which is which team and or driver can now come back from what is a incredibly soul-crushing route, I would call it a route on the 2022 championship, it might be a little concerning for the sport, for Liberty Media, who who one of their key briefs was to have this regulation set to bring the racing action closer, to have closer competition. Ross Braun saying things like, when a team dominates, we're going to have a rubber band and we're going to pull them back. And we will see if they do anything to pull Red Bull back or whether that was just specifically directed at, at the Mercedes dominance, which I can understand was, was grating everyone. Um, is there anything that Red that, that the FIA that Liberty Media should do, can do, will do, or do they just let another area, another era of dominance play out, Matt? Well, I think they already have done um, first with the technical directive, which admittedly didn't affect Red Bull, but was certainly thought that it might affect them. They and Ferrari were the main targets of that, but also by uh, raising the floor edges fifteen mil. That's not going to help Red Bull very much. It will help Mercedes a lot. And as far as challenges go, it's you have to remember, this is the first year of a brand new aerodynamic regulation set. By definition, you're going to you should see a result like this more often than not. Yeah, I completely agree. We are in what I would call a teething year. You know, we've just had a kind of set new set of regulations come in. And it just so happens for Red Bull that they've absolutely knocked it out of the park and other teams haven't done so. You know, there were a lot of issues, especially at the beginning of the year with the porpoising and everything that was going on with that. And Red Bull have been, aside from the maybe first couple of races, they, they've done exceptionally well to deal with the new regulations. And I have I have no doubt that next year, especially after the winter break and all of the time that teams will have to kind of recalibrate, that teams will come back stronger and we will have a tighter battle next year. However, post uh, regulation change years, there's always going to be a big split in the field between those that nail it and those that unfortunately don't. Poor, poor Red Bull, poor Mercedes, Matt. They couldn't even afford side pods this year. And I, I think Red Bull missed a trick with that budget cap stuff being released tomorrow. They, sh- they should have turned up in tattered uniform, you know, like looking all hungry and like pushed their thinnest uh, team members out to do the pit stops. Oh, Derek hasn't had a, a sandwich since Wednesday. We're so Served poor. We, sp- but- we spend so little. Serve nothing but gruel from the <laughs> craft table. Exactly. Yeah. Make, make, make the Toro Rosso team wear like uh, Alf. I make them wear Toro Rosso shirts. That would have made them look poor and not spendthrift. Um, but continue. I think the question I would like to ask, and, and we will get back to today's action, is Chris Turner there just made a, a great question. Who's going to come through and, and actually challenge in the years to come? Uh, Antonio, who do you think has got the potential, team and driver? That's an exceptionally difficult question because, of course, you know, we we don't know what's going to be developed. A team might have some kind of epiphany and, again, come in and knock it out the park. However, that being said, <laughs> I think we can gauge success pretty well by a driver lineup. 
And I will say, obviously, Mercedes have two very strong drivers at the moment. However, the dynamic between them, I do think if they are in a championship winning car, two British drivers both pushing for a championship at once doesn't make for the nicest harmonies. No, it's the wrong way to go. It's the wrong way to go. With the budget cap now, you develop your car and then you all the updates go to your number one driver. That's got to be the way forward. It's not going to happen at Mercedes. Matt? Well, I just wish to point out that if we look at the previous set of regulations, um, what hasn't really changed are the power units. And what we have right now are power units that are, for the most part, within about 10 horsepower, I'd say, of absolute parity. And so it becomes the aerodynamic battle. We saw Ferrari come on, took him about four years to get on top of the regs. Then we saw Red Bull come on in 2020, 2021. It took them a bit longer, but a lot of that longer was because they didn't have the power unit. So I see Mercedes and Ferrari both capable of mounting a challenge. I think it's interesting, actually, that you mentioned the power units, because obviously we've got a very big power units um, regulation change coming up in 2026. And that's going to be massive in terms of removing the motor generator unit heats, the entire energy recovery system is going to have to be remodeled. And I think in terms of actual power and pace, that's where we're really going to see a divide in the field, because that's going to completely change the mechanical makeup of the car. Whereas this year, like you said, it has been very much on the downforce where we actually see a very even downforce split between the front wing, the floor and the rear wing. So it, it's a very diff, different focus of regulations. All right. I, All right, tech nerds. Let's not, <laughs> let's not go down that path. All I'll say to this before we move on is that even though I like Alonso, it would be hilarious if Gasly goes and picks up a, a title with Alpine in a dominant Alpine car next year. Inject that into my veins. Matt, lap one didn't go very well. Well, it depends on who you were. If you were Stroll, it actually went yeah, it pretty went well. well. But if you were Signs, no, it definitely did not go very well. And this already, you have Signs. He didn't go off because he drove poorly. He didn't go off because he made a mistake. He went off because he aquaplaned. Period. End of. There was nothing he could have done to save that car. And it was interesting to me. Everyone agreed that the Enters were the best tire. But you know what? Aquaplanes a lot more easily enters compared to the full wets. So why didn't they start on full wets then, Matt? Well, you're asking me this question, and I think it's a good one. Because you could say, should the FIA have required it? But then you're going to have to ask, well, how much risk for reward should the FIA be managing when these teams are professionals and these drivers are professionals? Well, the way I've looked at it is, is this. The, the intermediate tyres obviously have a much broader operation window because, you know, they're made to bridge the gap between the wet weather and the drier weather. And with the race commencing, obviously, there's going to be a lot of water displaced from the circuit. And now this year, because the cars have more mm. downforce, that means that more water is stripped off of the circuit, which means that, of course, visibility uh. is going to be poorer. But the intermediate tyres don't get rid of as much water off the circuit as the wets do. So that means that the visibility conditions, if the drivers are put out on the intermediate tyres, would be much better. So I can understand in that aspect why they would go for the intermediate tyres. And of course, it's not that the teams didn't have the choice. You know, they could have gone out on the on the wet tyres, yes, at the sacrifice of pace, but it's not like they said, you have to go on the inters. No, but it is interesting that they, they did all go on the inters and there wasn't like one cheeky, like a Gasly type scuba suit in the desert attempt to go on to wets. 
I think the problem with that is that, as Antonia said, the the delta between the wet tire and the intermediate tire, if the amount of standing water isn't correct, is massive. And also, the wet tires will overheat incredibly quickly if there's not enough water to cool them down. The problem, as well, is that if they if the FIA mandated they start on wet tires, they're almost bound by their own previous history that they then have to start under the safety car which i'm sure they weren't looking forward to which they had to do eventually in the end but can i ask a question that a lot of middle-aged people are asking around the country is what happened to monsoon tires what what happened to just a tire that's brilliant in the wet does anyone know why was that abandoned why isn't there just like a super rain clearing tire where they can literally go out i'm sure tire technology exists where you could go out in a monsoon and have lots of grip or am I, am I wrong? Have I misremembered? Antonia? That's less about the tyres and more actually about the cars themselves. So the cars are, they have much bigger tyres than they used to have. And the cars ah. themselves are much bigger than they used to be. So if we look back, say, you know, at 2007, where we did have smaller cars, smaller tyres, smaller everything, basically, they're not going to be displacing the same amount of water of course so the di- the um, difference actually isn't between the grippiness of the tire or the efficiency of the tire but the entire car itself is less compatible with rain that's some great insight catman how come you don't know things like that i can add to that and say that actually a lot of the downforce is generated from the floor and if you raise oh, the ride go. height by making a wet setup or don't forget the tread is much deeper on a wet tire that's then going to make much less downforce sucking the car down so they're going to be much more tricky to squirrel around the corners Uh, that's absolutely correct the full wet tires which are also called extremes and i think are the descendants of said monsoon tires are supposed to clear at 300 kilometers an hour 85 liters of water per second which is roughly a bathtub full in uh old people measurements per second per second that's loads it is loads and so uh, It was frustrating a bit um, under the red flag to see that they didn't require the teams to put some extremes on and run some laps behind the safety car to see if it was drivable straight away. In other words, to me, the window for using that tire was the one that happened when the race first started. And by time we restarted the race, uh, the window for that tire had been missed a bit, as was obvious when people started putting enters on. Yeah, and that's a concern for me as well, that if it was dry enough for them to go straight to intermediate tyres when they restarted, then surely we could have restarted half an hour earlier on the wet tyres. And also, can I just say, where were the, the dudes with the brushes in the gap trying to brush all of the water off the track like <laughs> we always a, see? Like at Singapore, there was loads yeah. of people like brushing. It's like, you're not doing anything. They were sweeping it to the side and then it was washing back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I think... Of course, you know, it, in an ideal world, you could just have loads of cars going around the circuit to try and shift as much water as possible. And like Matt said, they do shift a ridiculous amount of, of water per second on the intermediate tyres even. Each tyre will shift about 30 litres per second. How many bathtubs is that? I'm not sure. I, sh- I take showers. Oh, how many showers <laughs> is that? Okay, fine. Because I didn't know what Matt was talking about. I couldn't visualise it until he said a bathtub. Sorry, continue. But but no, in, in essence, the, the inters shift considerably less. less and yeah. But that's why as soon as we've done a couple of laps under these full wets, we could have them go out on the inters because that's how much water was actually oh, taken see. off I the see. track. It's it's very diff- difficult to comprehend it, how, uh, how much the track does dry up as soon as there's cars on the track. 
Yeah. And, and just to be clear, the issue at the very, very start of the race was as much visibility as it was the ability of the tire to run on the track. And that needs to be evaluated separately. And I think race direction, uh, although I was irritated about it at the time, was correct in that continuing to race under a green flag just simply wasn't safe because the visibility was too bad. But that doesn't preclude laps under the safety car and um, taking the cars out sooner to make use of the technology and tires that Pirelli have worked so hard on. Uh, speaking of taking cars out, we should talk about Alonso. Whose fault is it? <laughs> there was some good action, though. And my goodness, yes, it really was a, a challenge for the drivers. And there was one shot on the TV where it was the timing screen on the left and just a cloud of white. And you go, well, what's happening here? And someone in our Patreon Slack group suggested that maybe part of the reason they don't want to race under these conditions is because you can't really see very much. But the onboards were brilliant because you've got clear visors and and I think you get to see just how difficult it is and they really are they're going by the memory of the track and then by some blinking lights in front of them but there was some good action to cover there I think the first one was Alonso versus Vettel whose fault was it Antonio whose fault was it I would very much just put that down to it being a lap one incident with 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 poor visibility, I I'm Fail. I'm I apologize. We don't I, I do that no. here. We'll write that one off. Not a lot. No, <laughs> you got to pick one. I would I would say Vettel. However, I I would say it's completely understandable that it was an incident. Okay, Catman, play the game properly. <laughs> totally Vettel's fault. Yeah, He's, man. He, yeah, absolutely. It's it's so difficult, but he basically steered into a wall of white, as you said. So yeah. we have no idea what was actually there. Um, that being said, you could say Vettel was at fault for hanging himself out to dry on the outside of a fast right-hander on the first lap yeah. when you're bound to have two or three cars on your inside. And everyone's looking for that outside line, probably the same as Vettel was. Look, look at us sitting here in our sheds and offices, like fully judging the, what must have been horrendously hard conditions that only the very the top echelon of drivers would be able to to handle. But yeah, he he definitely like he turned into Alonso. You can't blame Alonso for that. But the, Alonso also had a continuation of what seems to have been a, a season-long battle with the Alpines and specifically Fernando Alonso. And I think that both of those guys are really enjoying that battle. Lewis Hamilton said that this was a fun race. Despite finishing fifth, despite being stuck behind Ocon for the entirety of the race, he still came out and said, I had a fun time. And I, I think that is mostly down to the one cutback Matt, where Alonso got up the inside of him at the hairpin and he managed to best him. That was just entertaining racing and seeing Alonso and Hamilton going at it again, clearly enjoying their racing. That was, oh, I loved that. Yeah. And, and Vettel against Alonso was fun. And even Joe made a similar move, I think, on Latifi, except for unlike Alonso, he did not collect his car and wound up spinning all the way around, which cost him a load of places. But yeah, you watch that first lap and you think, oh man, Vettel is done. And it's such a shame. Like he qualified so well, finally, in the top 10. He's been, you know, just missing out on Q2 half the time, never mind Q3. And to have immediately chuck away such a good position. But little did we know, Aston Martin would pull the strategic blinder mm. on the on the restart. 
But there was uh, an Albin, uh, I don't know if it was debris or contact, but he lost a radiator. That's why he was off in, 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 the, in, the, in the first lap as well. Oh, he had contact and that's what caused a, caused a failure. I didn't it, see it was either contact. debris or contact. It oh. was a radiator went down and a water leak. Oh, okay. Catman. I mean, it certainly wasn't as big as the bit that Gasly collected, shall we say. <laughs> yes, that looks really funny until I realised how incredibly dangerous and horrific that was. Of course, of course. But actually, to, to steal my own thing of the weekend, Vettel's qualifying, as you said, Matt, was amazing. And then just the heartwarming thing of him driving on the on the warm down lap, going, waving to the crowd, going, this is my last time qualifying at the best circuit in the world. Thank you so much, everybody. It was amazing. Oh, he's getting I proper emotional. He's regretting it, Catman. He's regretting he it. He, he, he he's, he's saying things like, oh, if, if anyone, like, if anyone's busy, if anyone's got a wedding or anything next year, oh, I can cover it. Like, don't worry. No, don't pay me. It's okay. I'll be fine. And I'll look after your cats. That's right. Mm. Hulkenberg's going to find himself out of a job <laughs> yeah. fairly shortly, isn't he? Well, he's he? not, because he'll be driving for Haas. Um, <laughs> Matt. Well, I, one reason I did bring up Albin is because they bothered to interview him. And he talked about being in the spray and, and literally having to use, like looking out of the corner of his eyes at the white lines of the track. And that being the only way he could navigate at the very, very beginning. Mm. And just like, like not even being able to see the rain lights ahead of you at those speeds, just it blows my mind. Yeah, I I would agree. The f- having to resort to using tiny little landmarks yeah. on the track just to find your way around is ridiculously dangerous. I mean, of course, the drivers know these tracks like the back of their hands. They've done the sim work. I'm sure, you know, drivers like Lando, they do all of the e-sports and all of that stuff. But And they know the tracks. However, not being able to see 10 metres in front of you when going 200 miles an hour, you do have to question the safety. Okay, so I've, I've done driving in woodlands off track with no lights on uh, for tactical reasons and then you're just following that light in front of you of the car in front or sometimes someone with the torch it is so difficult to like pluck those markers out when you're not used to seeing anything so you're looking at the tops of the trees you're looking for slight shifts in shadow and i did it at walking pace and it was a nightmare and i definitely almost killed people so how these guys are doing it i don't know it's absolutely crazy but but then you think of when we've all seen that video with Ocon where he was dr- holding a, like a, a weight in front of him and, and driving the, the circuit with his eyes closed. Yes! They, they could do <laughs> that good. anyway. So yeah. it's basically the same thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they've been doing it for ages. They're, they're pretty phenomenal. Yeah, they can play whenever they want. It's theirs. Um, right. R- restart. I think, look, there's some heavy subjects coming up. Because we are going to have to talk about, you know, the Gasly stuff and uh, and then quite a few more FIA subjects, the Leclerc decision. You're all going to think I'm wrong when I say that wasn't a penalty, the one that was given. Oh, you're all you're all yelling at me. But later on, I'm going to. Oh, even the panels are looking at me like I'm wrong. Oh, this is so good when everyone thinks you're wrong and you know you're definitely right. That's the best. So we're going to have to look at that as well. Uh, The race didn't end where it should, so that penalty shouldn't have counted anyway. So we're going to cover all of that. No one knew the rules of the points. So all of that will come up as well. Um, But before we get to that, I think, Matt, it is only right, isn't it, to just round off the the actual racing after the the safety car. And, And I have to say, after the safety car, after the red flag, so the safety car restart, I was really disappointed that none of the teams just roll the dice and just halfway through that that 28 minutes or whatever it was 
bolted on new Inters because it really the tire wear on the Inters really was the story of that phase. You look at Verstappen's tires; they looked shiny and new. They still had the tag on them. One of the wheels still had the receipt. It looked that new, and Leclerc's basically looked like slicks. So, I mean, that's the story of that second half, isn't it? It is. Although I think you're overlooking one man. No, I'm not. Okay, wait. Miracle Alonso no, that, with that, about eight minutes left. That was rocked st- into the pits, slapped on some new enters, and just destroyed the field. But that's what made me go. How come no one did that? Because I was looking at the timing screens, Chris, and my goodness, at times he was he was well, he was faster than the leaders, but he was chewing up four, five, four, five seconds out of the guys ahead. Absolutely. And if he'd done it with nine minutes to go, he would have been able to get Vettel as well. So I said to my boy, when I saw him pit, I was like, this is a mistake. Surely he's not going to be able to make up that amount of time. He'll <laughs> drop down do. to ninth, tenth place. And then we were just watching him tick up the, the screens and we were, we were going, wow, this is incredible pace. The problem was, is that nobody else who'd done something similar was showing quite that level Oh, Joe, Joe, Joe was looking okay, but, but I think that th- this is this is one of those cases where you say, "Look, this is where you need to watch the live timings." Antonia, do do you have the live timings up on your race setup? No, I don't actually. I do it old school style. <sighs> just I just count, watch the you, race. You just count. You go, "Oh, Alonso <laughs> has crossed the line." One, two. Yeah, no, I I will say it. It almost seemed like an experience call because Jensen Button on the commentary said exactly yes, the same thing. He yeah. said, "Get on those inters," and of course, with a lot <laughs> yeah, of the drivers on the grid, they haven't necessarily <laughs> raced at Suzuka much before because, of course, it hasn't yeah. been on the grid for the last few years. I know. I know why Matt's going crazy. Gone, Matt. It's nice to know that Button is consistent from his career driving to his career commentating. I know. Oh, let's just put the inners on. I'll just say it as soon as I think it might happen, and then I'll look like a genius. For newer fans who just know Jensen Button as a commentator, that was his MO. In any interchangeable <laughs> conditions, he would just look at what most of the pack was doing and just do the opposite. And then when it came off, he looked like a genius. When it didn't come off, you didn't notice because he was, uh, you know, the McLarens were struggling back then. Exactly. Well, I, I do want to speak a bit to why maybe not everybody did that. Okay, go on then. Which briefly, uh, only in terms of Alonso, is I think the reason he waited was either he wanted to be in front of Ricardo and he was trying to create that pit window to, to pit into so that he wasn't stuck behind both Ricardo and Norris. Uh, or possibly... Possibly they were doing their math and looking at Verstappen and thinking maybe there would be one more lap than we actually wound up with. Oh, that's a very good point. Yes, of course. They were, they thought that because obviously they were going to drop off fairly quickly because especially if you're going at that pace, they're going to burn quite dramatically. So maybe they had thought, well, if there's eight laps to go rather than seven that there was or something, then maybe that was where they were headed. But it nearly paid off. How far is it that uh, Vettel and Alonso were apart on the line? Oh, it was naught point nothing, nothing, but we never got to see it. No, of course. Well, there you go. If you didn't catch that in the race, because I don't think it was shown, make sure you go in and look at the finish between Alonso and Vettel. It was so close. And in fact, there was just a little wiggle under traction from Alonso. He could have had it. I think he had it done. Slight wiggle under traction and Vettel was able to hold it around the outside. So maybe that outside line was the racing line and he had a little bit more grip around the outside. But Matt, when you were talking about the the gaps you're really good at watching that kind of thing with the strategy and saying, oh, where is he going to drop? And we can't, we've got to be very careful what we say here, but we got an amazing insight, do you remember, into the uh, yes, into the graphs and data 
that teams get to see live during the race we got we got our eyes on the actual system where they can then go they can theoretically go well if we do this now it puts us here and they can like create an alternative timeline it is amazing like we think it's like a guy with a notepad and pen no these guys are playing 4d chess with with like amazing futuristic ai machines it, it it was both terrifying and it made me sad because I knew instantly I'd never be able to afford that toy for myself. Yeah, I know. And it was followed by, you must never tell anyone how you know this. Catman. I kind of imagine it's Minority Report style. He's got two oh my glowing gosh. hands. It, it wasn't too far off. It wasn't too, it wasn't too far off that. It really it's wasn't. incredible. <laughs> and um, I, I wonder, I think in future years, I think this sort of stuff might become more public, but the way that they approach that strategy is just incredible. And apparently, like Ferrari, even are going to have an AI person making calls into the driver's ears. So they'll detect a safety car and go like, safety car approaching or a pit window opening. And they're going to hand over that to artificial intelligence. The Uh, sooner they can do that, the better on the Ferrari pit wall, if I'm honest. Any kind of intelligence would be an... No, (laughs) too mean, too mean, Antonia. Sorry. Oh no! I um I think a lot of people what they don't realize is aside from the pit wall, there's also massive operations rooms that aren't that are off site yes, that are feeding right. yeah. the same information that get all of the same data that's then being processed and then sent all the way over to the circuit. So whilst yeah we do see five or six people squirreling away working very hard actually at the circuit, the amount of data that's just being completely mulled over and processed within within an inch of its life yeah. is incomprehensible. So you could say, okay, that's perfect. These computers, these systems, these really t- well-trained analytical engineers nearly got Alonso to get that that place and it would have been sixth place. And then there's some guy who's fluked a bit of a following in his podcast audience from a shed going, nah, should have gone two laps earlier. <laughs> must be so frustrating. Come on. I've played F1 manager and I know it works. Exactly. Okay, Uh, right. I think that means, Matt, that we're going to have to move on to some of the grown-up chat. It's a chat I never wanted to have again, Matt. But do you remember 2014? I have to take us back to Suzuka 2014 with the tragic loss of Jules Bianchi. And we were sat in in the early days of our podcasting in F1. And we spoke to Gary Hartman, the uh, former medical car driver it was it was a horrible day and lots of stuff came out of that and you could argue lots of positivity came out of that and i kind of the reason i'm bringing us back to that is because i want to remember the sentiments at the time like you'll remember the sentiments at the time is this was so avoidable we can't blame the driver we have to take steps to make sure that this situation can't come about we have to remove the possibility of of tractors with cars that are even slightly competitive or going fast or catching up or doing anything. We have to protect the heads, the halo, probably a direct result of, of, of Bianchi's accident. And then today, that's where my mind went straight back to. I'm assuming yours as well. Yeah. I mean, I do want to mention John Surti's accident in F2. That was the origination right, for yeah. where the halo Henry. came from. And then I think the Bianchi thing put it, properly into motion in the FIA. They realized they couldn't dilly-dally and they would have to offend the teams by insisting that it go on the cars. But it was terrifying when that shot from Gasly's onboard first popped up. And because not just 
not just because there was a tractor there and on the circuit and driving on the circuit or, or parked on the circuit, I guess at that point, which was, which was bad enough, but the fact of how poorly visible it was on the camera was what struck me immediately as, wait a minute, has, has no one given any thought to this? If we're going to park vehicles on circuits to recover things, the driver's going to need to see them in bad conditions. I, I completely agree. As we've, as we've said earlier, one of the main dangers with the wet isn't necessarily the aquaplaning or the stopping distance. It's the visibility. And this tractor had three very measly little lights on mm. the back of it. You know, even the cars themselves had brighter lights on them. And when we actually look at a comparison of the incident with Bianchi and what could have been today, Every parallel is stricken, you know, the wet weather, the circuit, the, the, all of the circumstances were the same down to the double waved yellows. And of course, with Bianchi's incident, as a direct result, there were the speed regulations brought in under double waved yellows. You had to be, be at below a certain speed or reduce your speed a certain amount. But we cannot pin this on Gasly. You know, he was penalized for speeding. However, that was actually on for. A different sector of the circuit than the tractor was on anyway. And in any event, if you are going over 100 miles an hour and you unexpectedly see a huge vehicle parked on the circuit, gosh, it must, it must be terrifying. And again, you know, Bianchi was on everybody's minds this weekend as it is, let alone with, with that incident. And I do just think, especially in the conditions where visibility is horrendous anyway, it is just not acceptable ever to have a vehicle like that on the track. And hitting the brakes in those conditions is terrifying and unpredictable. And people are pointing out, I think Mia's pointing out the tractor was, we say tractor, we do just mean recovery equipment. That's become the synonymous sort of term in F1. It was on the tarmac and not the grass and probably arguably on the racing line, given the wet conditions. Uh, Catman. Yeah, I think Antonio put that incredibly well. I, I, I'm almost lost for words at how incompetent this makes the safety procedures look. But not only that, but at the time they said that you're not allowed. We, we, we can't make the cars withstand that sort of impact. So... We have to make it so that that situation will never arise again. And how many times has that happened since then? Too many. One is one too many. I'm sorry. I'm absolutely furious. Yes, I, I'm angry as well. And I, I, I'm i not going to pretend to understand what it's like to be a national broadcaster, you know, producing content that's going to go out around the world. There is a, a pressure to do analysis in a responsible way to look at things from every angle. But it was incredibly difficult for me. After that context that we've we've been setting out that we're talking about now, we, we all got transported back to 2014. There was no gap in my mind between 2014 and the conversations happening today. And for that blame to be going to Gasly so heavily on the broadcast I was watching, it, it felt to me... Like every time they said Gasly, they may as well have been saying Bianchi. And that's what that's what really hurt. I actually turned my TV off and I went and walked away. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, I was not watching the commentary you were watching because I, I was watching F1 TV, but it was immediate and palpable, the reaction that I saw on Twitter and in, in my own Formula One chats to people who were watching that as they grew increasingly frustrated and angry with what was being said. So I just want to briefly explain the circumstances okay. that saw Gasly there before we yeah, move let's do on. That. Yeah, go on. Which is that, we might all recall the previous lap, Hamilton just about getting taken out by the hoardings that signs took out when he went off track. Pierre Gasly collected that hoarding, and it was draped all over the front wing of his car. He took to the pits. They changed his nose, put the nose of the car, not his nose. His nose, I think, is probably okay as is. And they put full wets on and sent him back out. And at this point, the safety car was out. When you are following the safety car, you're supposed to maintain a distance of 10 car lengths. But when you have not caught up to the field, mm -hmm. you are mm -hmm. actually supposed to catch up as quickly as you can. Oh, I'm glad you made as that. As yep. long as you maintain a positive delta to the time the FIA give you. At the point at which you passed that tractor, he was nine seconds slower than he needed to be for the sector that he was in. So I think very clearly we need to not blame Gasly for following the procedures. Now, yes, the red flag, I think, happened within a second or two of him approaching that incident. But very clearly, this was a procedural yeah. problem with dispatching the vehicle and knowing where all the cars were on track. Just to respond to some chat room uh, comments, and I'm sure what people will be thinking please don't take that as me attacking broadcasters. They have people in their ears. They're being fed talking points that they need to cover. Just because I was hearing Bianchi whenever every time they said Gasly doesn't mean that that was their intention and that's what they were trying to convey. Antonia? If I'm honest, I think, I think the focus of the discussion was incorrect in the first place. It wasn't the fact that Gasly had been passed whilst going quickly. For me, it was the fact that it was there at all, really, whilst the cars were there in those conditions. I understand, of course, they were behind the safety car. They've got their deltas that they're following and they are going considerably slower than they otherwise would be. However, how easy it is to lose control of the car, again, to, to brake and then aquaplane, to, to completely lose control of the vehicle, even when driving with solid reaction times, with 
with with a slower speed, you know, just any cars going past a vehicle like that in those conditions, for me, I just I I didn't want to see it full stop. And aside from that, to then bring Gasly's speed into it, he hadn't even been informed that the recovery vehicle was on the circuit, which, in my opinion, would have been a complete bare minimum to warn a driver, not even that the recovery vehicle's going to be near the circuit, but actually on the tarmac that they're meant to be on. He had no idea it was there. And of course, we hear this panicked radio message of him going, goodness, there's why is there a vehicle on the circuit? Why, why, why? And I completely understand his anger. And I, I definitely don't think any blame at all can be attributed to Gasly because, frankly, the surprise of seeing the vehicle there at all could have thrown him. Well, I think you're correct. And this is very much a thing that has been brought up to me by other people in the interval between the end of the race and the show, which is like if you go to a Formula E race, the race director comes on and says we're the yellows will be off in five, four, three, two, one. There is a car on track at this turn. The safety car will be coming out in five, four, three, two, one. The race director communicates this kind of information directly to the drivers without the intercession of the teams. I know they have information on their dash, but maybe it is time to think about having the race director or the clerk of the course or someone say, there's a car on track that's not moving and it's in this sector. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think communication in a situation like this is absolutely imperative because obviously at the moment, any communication that the driver receives is going to be from their pit wall engineer who doesn't always necessarily have all the information. Whereas if it's coming from the race director, yeah. who of course has all of the information, then an incident like this could have been avoided because Gasly would have known that the vehicle would be there. Okay, so I assume no one from the FIA is watching this podcast or listening to the words I'm saying. On a human level... I don't think the FIA reaction was good. And I want to sympathise with that. It's a high-pressure situation. There's lots of considerations. But I think they made a decision to put the vehicle out on track. Someone released that. It was the wrong decision. The cars had not been collected by the safety car. The conditions made it all the more uh, jeopardy... Jeopardious? Made Made the jeopardy higher. It was a bad decision. Then they saw the floods of of comments and negativity coming in and they had a very human reaction, I think, to double down to try and blame uh, Pierre Gasly. And then as the pressure mounts, they then really doubled down and issued a penalty, a severe one, 20 seconds for speeding. Reprimand points, bringing him to nine out of 12 points. All, I think a little bit born of pride. And when you get in that cycle of making decisions under pressure and doubling down and and pride saving, it's very hard to get out of that. And in my egotistical assumption that someone from the FIA is listening, please just break that cycle of pride. Yes, some people will go, oh, well, they're backtracking now. But the most important thing is to just acknowledge the mistake. In, in When I was a workshop engineer, I really pushed the concept of the near miss protocol when there was a near miss and we got away with it we treated it exactly as hard as if something bad was happened we didn't double down we didn't gaslight we didn't blame other people we didn't pretend there was a problem you have to admit this was bad let's talk about why it was bad and what we do going forward because that's the only way you fix things Matt, there's definitely people from the FIA listening, isn't there? For sure. 
For sure. It's like double for sure. Like we've got loads of listeners now. Yeah. And, and they have eventually come out and said that this is the kind of thing that mm. always gets looked at yeah. after races. Podcasts. So the, the podcast. Oh, yes. right, yeah. And, and I'm also not, I'm not misses, saying, like you mentioned. I'm not saying Dominicali, but like maybe no. like, you know, like Derek in accounts. And then he speaks to his mate who, you know, does that. He's the one that transcribes when they're writing all the rules and stuff. And then it filters up that way. That's how we change the world, man. But I will say that maybe the realest problem for the FIA mm. is the long is during that long red flag session, mm-hmm. all of the drivers saw that incident and started talking to each other. And whereas you and I can, you know, shout loudly at the clouds from our lawns <laughs> on our podcast, I'm pretty sure that the drivers are going to be having a fairly serious discussion with the race directors and the FIA about this. And hopefully we will get a positive improvement in the uh, regulating of these sorts of vehicles on track. I, I completely agree. I just, I think the joint outrage from the driver speaks volumes, to be honest, because, you know, they've all come forward and said that it's unacceptable. And Lando did actually rather a moving interview after the race, just with the media. And he just said, it's scary. You know, to think that there's a vehicle there, you can't see 10 metres ahead of you and you could crash into it. Good. I want I, don't, I want drivers who understand the fear and do it anyway. I don't want idiots going around who aren't scared. The fact that they're scared, you know, makes sense to me. OK, let's do my favourite thing in the world, which is argue about regulations and rules. Yeah, here we go. OK, Leclerc was holding off Perez for a lot of laps. I think Perez had a little bit more pace and it was crucial at the time because you know we if if anything happened between those two and this is the time we thought there was going to be reduced points if anything happened between those two Verstappen was going to get crown champion and he definitely wasn't going to get crown champion because we all knew for an absolute certain fact that there was limited points for this 20 minute race the the title wasn't going to be decided unless Perez and Leclerc crashed so we were all kind of looking at this in a very kind of nervous way and then on the or on the penultimate lap, which should have been the last lap, but that's a discussion for another time. On the penultimate lap, Leclerc went on at the chicane and then was slow going down the home straight. Perez tried to get past. Leclerc did a little block. Leclerc got a penalty for cutting the corner and gaining a lasting advantage. Does anyone here think that that was correct? That he, they should, he should have got a penalty for gaining a lasting advantage. Not a chance. Oh, go on, Cameron, you're going to agree with me. Boring! I'm no! sorry. I'm sorry. He did not gain an advantage by the fact that you could see that Perez had such an overspeed on him coming out of the corner. So that is not where the penalty should have yeah. come from. Matt? I'm going to do that classic trumpets thing of asking a question to answer a question, which okay. is, well, what exactly are we talking about when we mean a lasting advantage? Because... I can technically speaking, yeah. as mm. you point out, Perez was actually closer on the other side of that than when he went into it. Yep. So it was it's a not disadvantage. Like Clark was suddenly nine seconds down the track and un- unassailable. So, so why exactly would he be considered to have a lasting advantage? I think that's a really good point. Of course, we have that regulation just to make sure that a driver's not going to cut out a corner and kind of take a little shortcuts around the circuit. Because, you know, if there's no regulation to prevent it, I don't doubt that drivers would capitalise on that. However, the margin between gaining an advantage there or not was 
immensely questionable and you know to play devil's advocate I can see why the penalty was awarded in terms of he was at threat of an overtake you know take it could be seen as avoiding action even though it was very clearly not deliberate yes you're wrong about this brilliant that's good that's good no that's good that's setting me up Catman we definitely got this regulation from when it was back in Spa 08 when Lewis and Kimi Raikkonen were having that battle into the bus stop yes uh, yeah 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 breezed off slightly to let it pass and overtook him again the funniest bit for me was when Perez was being interviewed by Johnny at the end and before the penalty was issued he was like oh I was trying to have a go at Charles and then he went off no you weren't (laughs) you absolutely were not my friend and then he said it was clean clean racing and then they said oh by the way he's got a penalty now it's like yeah, yeah, it was totally deserved. Yeah. I, I got P2. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So a little bit of context on this. And I'll start by saying, like Rush has just said in the chat room there, the penalty was deserved for crowding Perez off the road, though. Yes, that was the actual crime. The actual crime was the when Perez changed direction, Leclerc rejoined completely fine. Was at a disadvantage. Perez changed direction to try and go round the outside of that little kink before he get onto the the back the home straight, and then Leclerc like crowded him off and made him uh, made him back off. Now that is a completely different offence and should be investigated differently. The fact is, Leclerc was penalised and given that five second penalty for cutting the corner and gaining a lasting advantage. The FIA incorrectly cited two incidents from this year. They cited Alonso and Joe. Now, Alonso gained a lasting advantage in Miami by breaking the DRS. Going over his game, broke the DRS to Schumacher. He's gained an advantage. Schumacher can no longer use his DRS. Joe was completing an overtake in... Oh, it's escaped me now. But he was completing an overtake, had got in front, and then went on uh, again at a chicane and was able to then keep the position. So these are all situations where an overtake is happening or a clear advantage has been sought. It has never, ever been a thing in Formula One to penalise someone coming out of a train, going off track, rejoining the track safely in the same point in that train. So in this two-person train, Leclerc went off the track, rejoined exactly where he was. There was no overtaking happening. Lots of precedents for this. Uh, Hamilton in 2017 in Mexico went off on turn one, kept his lead, was allowed to keep that. Uh, Rosberg, I think, in 2014 or 2015 at, at Canada. Rosberg in Sochi, I think, in 2014 as well. All these incidents leading to the uh, the little sausage curves being put on there to make people drive around the little penalty routes. So it has never been a thing that if you just go off in a train and join back on, you have to give up the place. This is an unprecedented penalty. And I love the absolute lack of passion, the dispassionate (laughs) judgment you bring to this, Spanners. I really do. Mm. But in looking at it, it's been very clear that the FIA believe that those sorts of mistakes should be punished with the loss of position. Where I think they get it wrong is that into that particular corner, and I think we could look at the Ocon-Hamilton battle for comparison, um, that that was not going to be yielding a position, that mistake, because he wasn't under pressure from Perez. In no, other words, you're no. now giving Perez the position for a mistake that didn't deserve losing the position, where at other places on the track, you could very well make that argument. Okay, I quickly need to just get in that loads of people, when I've said this on Twitter, mentioned the Vettel incident in Canada. So Vettel was ahead of Hamilton, no overtake happening. Vettel goes off clumsily comes back on track, crosses the entire track and crowds Hamilton off. 
he got that penalty for the for crowding specifically was stated at the time but basically you could say unsafe rejoin it wasn't him just losing his place in the train and picking it up again chris no exactly because charles had already regained his composure and then was trying to block mm. Perez from overtaking yeah so the, so the second move so was fast. dirty the second the second block that was dirty from Leclerc. he knew what he was yeah. doing but that's not like a nailed on five second penalty that could be a black and white flag that could be a, a reprimand so it has to be judged differently the fact is the fact is that they made a rush decision and i feel mm. like it was a motivated decision i am going to come to that later it was a rushed a very rushed decision which they got wrong, which speaks to me that I think there might have been other reasons for making that decision so quickly. Antonia, have I convinced you? In a way, yes. And I will just make a point about the decision-making behind the penalties. I will say, of course, the, the way they're meant to make decisions is objectively in terms of a standardized penalty system. You know, one action will lead to any given time, always a five-second penalty. Sure. And what I think the issue is, is the FIA will look at the consequence of a certain penalty oh, and yes. then go, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, is that bad enough? As opposed to, you know, if one driver does an unsafe re-entry and they get a five-second and another driver also does the same thing, they might get a 10-second because then that mm. would lead to them having the same consequence of losing a place. So Perez in Singapore, for example. Well, exactly. And I think the reason that that was awarded after the race was because the five seconds eventually <laughs> wouldn't have made any difference. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, it, it's, that sounds like a crazy conspiracy theory. But at the time, I just went, it's a complete cop out to see what the result is and then decide. And in, in the end, Perez not only got to defend his position at the steward's office, he got a, a warning for doing one thing wrong once. And then did he get a reprimand for something else? Then he got a penalty for another thing. And it all just magically added up to no real consequence. Today, Leclerc's decision was made immediately on the spot. There was no Leclerc going to the steward's office to, 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 to show his mitigating circumstances. Why wasn't that, Chris? Why? Why didn't Leclerc get to speak to the stewards three hours after the race? Well, that's certainly what uh, Mattia Bonotto pointed out after the race. <laughs> The issue as well with the Perez one in Singapore that the the fact that they didn't penalise him straight away meant that he could live with the consequences of that by flying up the road by 10 seconds yeah. or 10.1 seconds to make sure if they gave him a 10 second penalty it would make a difference. Yes, however, because of the nature of the penalty, it's not like they would have made him come into pit to do it. It wasn't a stop go, it wasn't a drive through. So at that point in the race, it was always just going to be a case of the penalty being added onto his eventual time. So it wouldn't have actually impacted the actual physical element of the race. I'm sure mentally for Perez, not having the, oh gosh, I've got to make up a five second deficit. You know, of course that yeah. wasn't there. However, the in terms of the actual logistics of the race, there wouldn't have been a change in position. There wouldn't have been a pit stop that shook up the order. And I think that's what the difference is to be fair i have heard that the delay was actually requested by mrs perez so that he wouldn't celebrate like he did in monaco <laughs> this can is I, reasonable <laughs> can i bring it back to the fact that i don't think Charles should have got a penalty at all oh okay go on then yeah so the 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 crowding rules are for when there's a car alongside you right mm-hmm at any point, was Perez's car alongside Charles's? He's allowed to make one move yeah. to defend his position. He moved to the outside. Is that illegal? Well, and this is not the, in a braking this, zone. Think, He's not moving late in a braking zone. This is the point I want to make, 
Catman really was that that's a completely separate incident that needs to be uh, investigated separately. And I think there was a similar incident with uh, Stroll on the exit of a of, of final turn in a race a few races ago where he, he put the manners on Vettel, I think. And we were discussing, oh, is that OK? But the fact is the car behind actually withdrew. So they were never alongside. So they never actually did a kind of Rosberg, Hamilton, Barcelona 2016 situation. So <laughs> if, if there's never a car in the place that you move into, you're, you're actually allowed to do that. It's it's rude. It's very it's rude, rude. But then F1 drivers are rude. They are, the aren't they? The one you're talking oh. about was in France at Polycar oh, last corner, wasn't it? Yes, there you uh, go. On his teammate, which is yes. also probably got a bit of a telling off from Daddy Stroll. Probably not greatest if you're going to try. I bet he didn't. And... I'm not. I think he didn't. Get no, one. probably right. Yeah. He didn't. Um, but yeah, I I say it, it's rude. I think the what Brad would probably say is it's erratic. That was his word yes. of the weekend yeah. when I was discussing incidences with him. It was erratic and unpredictable. Although you could say that he just looked at his mirrors and saw where the car was coming from. Yeah, I think where where do we draw the line between making a, a savvy maneuver and then <laughs> being a dangerous driver? Yeah. You know, it's it's so hard to quantify, especially when we're looking at handing out arbitrary penalties, you know, because we can look at a maneuver and say, oh, well, that's just being sharp on defense, you know, and, and every driver does them. That's why there were so many controversies last year between Hamilton and Verstappen, because they were policed quite un- unevenly, shall we say, just generally across the year. However, you know, if a, a driver's allowed to be defensive and they're allowed yes. to get their elbows out and you can't over police that too much because otherwise we'll lose just the the raw racing, you know, I want to win attitudes. Yeah, well, it's simple. Was there a contact? Nope. No, then nope. it wasn't erratic. Yeah. There you go. No driver drove into a space where another car existed. It was, exactly. It was awfully rude, though. Uh, but should that penalty have even counted at all? Okay, we've. We're running low on time because we want to make sure we get in. We need to make sure we don't exceed the hour, Matt. But there's two more controversial FIA type things. And we've not really talked about how well Ocon did either. But I just want to point out. You're obsessed. You wait till next season. Gasly will crush him. Okay, sure. Whatever. Mm. Um, I just do want to point out that if you looked at what the FIA did out of context, they're like, oh, there was a thing, we made an instant decision, and we applied it. Brilliant. And be like, this you is what we want the FIA yes. to do. Except that, exactly. unlike Singapore, where mm. they had hours to figure out the Perez penalty during the race, mm. this occurred about a second and a half before the whole race was over. Mm-hmm. So they were already making this decision after the race, and there was no reason for them to not hear from Ferrari before they made up their minds what they wanted to do because they already knew the consequences of whatever a penalty they were going to apply with regards to the finishing order of the race. Whereas had they decided for Perez's initial penalty that it was a five-second penalty, that would have been applied in race at Singapore. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, actually. And in that aspect, I would have understood in a way if the penalty had been handed out during the race, as in, you know, and the order could have definitively been determined whilst the cars were still on track however by this point the race had finished you know the cars were in their final positions and what would what would have you know even a five ten minute difference made to just hear from a couple of the drivers briefly even you know because as you said the race was done at that point it, it wouldn't have really changed anything well, I think uh, Derek from Suzuka Circuit had already <laughs> lined up the the to the max 
videos to go behind him. So uh, there were there was a countdown. So I think they had to make the decision before they went on the video <laughs> behind him. Okay, I'm going to make a really boring point here. And if no one has any counterpoints to this or, or doesn't care, that's absolutely fine. But I'm pretty convinced convinced the race ended a lap early, and and that should have changed the result because I, I think the lap ended early and. Regulation Article 59.2 says that if the race is ended early, so if it's meant to race uh, end on lap X, but it ends on X minus one, you then actually have to end the race on X minus two. So the race should have ended one lap later than it did. Verstappen crossed the line and then the timer ran out just. So he has to finish the complete lap and then do a whole lap. And that, the reason for that is pretty logical. So if you were like five seconds from the line as it was going to zero, the person with the flag has to go, uh-oh, are they crossing the line now? Did they make it? Uh, you know, and they have to make a split de- decision. So it makes complete sense to go, okay, whatever's happening, when it goes to zero, let everyone finish the lap they're on and then do another whole lap. That's why that, that rule exists. It makes complete sense. Verstappen crossed the line, it went to zero. So you had to do nearly a whole lap minus one second. And then complete the lap after that. They didn't do that. They did the checkered flag on the lap that he was on when uh, when it turned to zero. That's a mistake. They messed up. That's fine. Then if you make that mistake, as happened when a celebrity dropped the flag a bit earlier, a couple of races ago, then what you do is you take the incorrect flag waving moment and you take the result from the lap before that which negates the Leclerc penalty in the first place. Catman, that penalty should never existed for several reasons. Whew, that was, that's very technical. And I, I, I read out a regulation from uh, the rule book. So I'm like Matt now, basically. I am impressed. Thank He's you. That's all I wanted you. to hear. So it also has precedent in in a race that was probably before our podcasters Chris Stevens and Antonia were born <laughs> back in 2003 when I know this was for a red flag at Brazil when uh Giancarlo Fisichella was handed the race victory a week later oh yes of course yes and he had, cap- a very lone, yeah, yeah, yeah. he had a very lonely podium ceremony all by himself no didn't Raikkonen didn't Raikkonen hand him the the, the trophy yeah he mm. handed it over to him but so so it is not too late to go back on your <laughs> sure. mistakes, FIA. Sure, of course it's not. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, look, granted, this is a very boring technical point, but the race should have been called a lap earlier. The penalty doesn't exist. Uh, Verstappen is definitely still going to win, but he hasn't technically gone over the line if they do what Chris said. You've only got one at the risk of... Um, I, I, like, like you were genuinely scary when we were doing these notes earlier and we were arguing about this and this, but at the risk of sending you down this path... Pedantry incoming. Pedantry alert. Here it comes. To point out that Article 5.4 states very clearly the three-hour rule is one of the exceptions to the above. And what is above is not just the two hours, but also the plus one lap. Whereas I maintain that the exception is referring to if there is a suspension for any reason, a red flag, the two-hour rule becomes the three-hour rule. Nothing else changes. Write that down in words that we can read would be my response. You know I haven't read anything since Netflix got good. Antonio. I, I will say, aside from whether it's a mistake or not, surely this kind of procedure isn't 
rocket science to execute. I mean, we see it in the other Formula Series and Support Series. W Series has, I think, a half an hour race plus one lap. You know, it's not it's not the most complicated principle to get wrong unless I'm misunderstanding its execution completely. Look, Antonio, they can't even get how many points they're going to award at the end of the race, right? Never oh God, mind how long the race is going yet. to arrive. Oh my God, that's next. But let's finish this first. Okay, <laughs> continuing my argument with Matt. Yes, it's post hoc reasoning. And I, I'm being an awful gossip and I've been an awful gossip in our Slack group because someone spoke to me that shouldn't speak to me. And it's always lovely when that happens. And I definitely shouldn't be talking about the person who spoke, spoke to me speaking to me. But... I don't know if this is out and about yet, but I know one of the teams protested this exact same thing and the FIA made that point that you're making that the three-hour rule throws all the rules out of the window, which I would accept if they had said, okay, uh, the three-hour rule was in effect. We've now decided to race uh, to end the race one lap earlier because uh, Verstappen had, had nearly... Uh, you know, had nearly finished before the zero. So he'd done a whole lap. So we thought that that was a sensible thing to do to just end the lap early. And given your article 57.83 Annex D, we have the ability to throw out all the rules of the two-hour rule that we normally would have to do. They didn't do that. What happened is that mistake happened. And then after the fact, they went, oh, scrambling through the notes. Oh, actually, maybe we've got a little bit of an out here. They did not intend to make that mistake is my assertion. And I will not argue with your assertion about how you're interpreting, 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 idiot, you said a wrong word, I did. interpreting those words. But what I will say is because you and only because you challenged me earlier and not like I remember this forever, you did challenge me as to the reasoning as to why it would be different and not have the plus one when the three hour limit was in effect. Yeah, and there's no reason there is, which is the two hours is a movable limit. The three hours is a hard limit beyond which the race cannot go. And under that, I could see justify the moment the clock expires, the checkered flag is out for the leader the next time they cross the line. Whereas with the two hours, you're working within that imagined three-hour window, and it's not until you butt up against it that the finishing rules would actually change. Antonia's trying to get in. Antonia, tell him. Tell him. Go on. Well, I, I will say I, that com- makes complete sense. You know, ah, this this three-hour window is very rigid. I knew however, I liked you. <laughs> Boo, Antonia is the worst. However, however, all of this interpretation of the rules is uncomfortably subjective, in my opinion. <laughs> you could drive a bus through it. <laughs> I, I just think, you know, if the rules can just be kind of, you know, depending on which word you emphasize, changed to fit a circumstance... It's it's almost reminiscent of the the botched safety car. Some cars can unlap themselves that oh, we don't, shall don't, not speak don't, of. Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> but you know, it's an uncomfortable subjectivity, and there should not be grey areas in sporting mm. regulations because it causes yeah. people to lose trust in their referees. It does. And without trusting referees of the sport, the sport will not run effectively, and that's what this comes down to. Chris, is it really just a question of emphasis? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It should be uh, some minutes of the three-hour time period, not all minutes. <laughs> Don't of the do three this. Hour time Don't period. do this. <laughs> well, first of all, I love that some people read the links that I left in the notes. I don't read. Second of all, you asked me, and like I said, would you like other examples? Because I've been reading regulations for a while, and I've often <laughs> been struck by how at odds to reality mm. 
the words are to the outcomes. This is, I'm going to read this out loud. You tell me what you would think. If you read this rule, all cars must proceed slowly into the pit lane. Would you think it applied to A, entering the pit lane, or B, the entirety of the circuit? The pit lane, obviously, from what you've said, obviously. Now, here's the first bit. When the signal is given, overtaking is forbidden. This would be the red flag. The pit exit will be closed. And all cars must proceed slowly into the pit lane. That was a regulation that said that <laughs> Gasly was speeding. But there's a very commonsensical reading of it that seems to imply it only works in the pit lane. These, the regulation we're arguing about now isn't the only regulation that perhaps needs some more careful looking at to mm. eliminate this kind of confusion. Speaking of confusion caused by people, Chris Catman-Turner, at CatmanF1, you sent me a well-intentioned chart at the beginning of the morning telling me what points would be scored at various percentages of the races. It now turns out that finishing a race that was delayed for two hours and 50 minutes had 10 minutes running and finishes under green flag, scores more points than a race that runs 74% of the time and, uh, and then has a crash and a red flag. That Rend sounds like something I would have done. Rendering your chart completely irrelevant. What on I'm... earth was going on? Why did I spend the whole race thinking there would be limited points for this race and, and then there was full points? I, I don't know. My brain hurts from all those figures. Okay, you well, I went to me. the wrong person but, then, didn't I? No, okay. no, I, I, can, okay. I, I was going to say that the thing for me, though, is that the only person or the only thing that got it right was the world feed. It kept coming up <laughs> saying, <laughs> yeah. 25 points for Max. And no, no, no. Going, and, be stupid. and people in our Patreon Slack group were saying, but but the feed is saying this. And, pe and people, including me, were going, no, you're I, wrong. I, Catman, I had it down as, David uh, Croft, it, everyone has told me that it's half points. I had it as my Miss the Apex Award that they were putting it up on the world feed as the wrong number of points. Yeah, I, d I just don't know how almost everybody yeah. seems to not know this. You know, of course, when you're watching a broadcast, you generally expect them to be pretty correct about most things. But again, it comes down to quite a small technicality in the rules as opposed to, you know, what everyone just expected, which was that if there's a red flag and the race is paused... Mm. then we won't get to finish the timing and a certain percentage of points will be awarded. You expect them to follow the chart, which <laughs> they have made themselves. That was a yeah. very British empire. Sorry, UK reference. That was a very British that. empire thing. Why didn't they follow the chart, Carol? They did. It states ever so clearly this chart only applies if the race does not finish. If it is suspended and it doesn't finish, this is exactly how we Which will Which we took it. to me mean does not complete all the laps. And we were wrong. Yeah. Everyone yeah. was wrong, which ruined... But whose fault is it that we were wrong? Now, what's interesting is I believe Christian Horner suggested that, in fact, it was meant to be more of a blanket thing than this particular regulation yes. said. So Horner suggested it was a mistake. Or yeah, a clumsy a, wording of the rulings. A copy and paste mistake. But what did change from Spa last year is that you had to have two laps without the safety car. That was the big issue in Spa last year. They did at least get that much of it right. Mm. And it's a pretty edge case that this even happened at all, if I'm being honest. It's, it's surprising they managed to even get the race started again. Mm. And 
it could very easily, we could have gone the whole season without ever testing this. So these regulations were meant to manage races that started and then were stopped and, and couldn't be completed. Yes, we and couldn't get the total It feels out. like it was an accident that this situation has come about where if the, if the race has, 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 has started and then completes, but there's a big gap, then they will award full points. And I think, Antonia, it's fair to say it took everyone by surprise. Yeah, it it was just safe to say a very confusing situation. However, I I think we're kind of ignoring the main victim of this misunderstanding, which is, of course, Max Verstappen. And I think we as the public were robbed of an exciting radio message of, Max, you are world champion. And, you know, he kind of just got to the cool down room and went, oh, yeah, cool. Nice. (laughs) Okay, I guess I am. No, in fact, he was even questioning in the cool-down room. He was going, is that, is that right? Am I champion? Is that right? And then Perez said to him in the cool-down room, after Johnny Herbert had kind of gone, oh, by the way, Max, you're, you're world champion, brilliant, uh, what are you having for dinner? They went to the cool-down room. Perez said, are you champion? And he went, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Dewey had no idea they were champions. And you'd assume Red Bull has their own rules, people, that actually look at this, yeah? So I don't normally talk about F1 drivers partners but it is uh, kelly pk is max verstappen's partner yeah the when herbert johnny herbert said that a graphic came up her and her entourage were celebrating they were cheering and then they saw the reaction of everyone else going huh is that right and you could see her looking at her phone i bet anything she was checking twitter and seeing medland and jenny gow and all these like people we trust going no andrew benson all going no it definitely isn't and then you could see her dial a number and call someone go is this real? Well, the thing is, you know that somewhere behind the scenes, there's Derek, the producer, yeah. whose job it was and to Johnny's have known here. that yeah. fact, mm. who, who who got called into the office for a bit of a, 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 <laughs> yeah. a, a bit of complaining from upper management after this was all said and done. So I had a brief back and forth with Sean Kelly, who is the, the main F1 stat guy. He provides all the stats and loads of information to Sky Channel 4, loads of people around the world. There, there is no one more knowledgeable on the spot about stats, statistics, and points. He's a little upset. That's all I can say. Well, whose who's job is it, you know? <laughs> exactly. We're, we're watching this, and, you know, of course, whilst we're all varying levels of knowledgeable about the sport, if, if we're all believing that Max isn't world champion and no one's telling us that he is, you know... Max isn't going to miraculously sit there doing maths in his car on the last lap, adding no. up his points, going, oh, right, Charles can't make up that gap. You know, someone has someone has to make the announcement. And it seemed that kind of no one stepped up to the mark to do so. You say that, but actually Max and Christian were doing the maths because they said, if it ends as it's supposed to with the points at 50%, then we would end up one point down. So should we pit Max so that he can try for the fastest lap? And uh, that was quite impressive thinking for me. Convince me Max wasn't really playing Super Mario Brothers on his Switch in the cockpit. He was so far ahead. Or indeed, space 3D pinball game. Indeed. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I got a reply tweet from Mike Caulfield on my on my Twitter, who uh, is the ex-Haas and Mercedes strategist, who said, what gets me is, what if Perez and Leclerc had had a massive shunt with three minutes to go today and it was red flagged and didn't resume? It would suddenly go from full points to reduced points. Yep. And teams can never be sure what points they are racing in with conditions like today, which tells me that this must be a mistake. No one intended this consequence. So, yeah, they're running around 
even if they'd realised, oh, this is full points because we're finishing under green, they could then have had a crash. And fin- how are you supposed to navigate that as a strategist? What a nightmare. Almost like when you can't predict a safety car finish. Hmm. What are you alluding to, Matt? I think there's a certain amount of randomness that your average strategist will simply have to put up with. That seems Full like... points? Is no, 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 points? No, 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 We'll no. know at the end of the race. No, that's too random. That's too random. This, this needs to be fixed. I think, though, that does take us neatly to the podium. On a race review that has lasted longer than a red flag rain delay at the Suzuka Grand Prix, we have to ask ourselves a series of questions. We have to ask, do we have trust in the governing body? Well, that might be a minor question because the more and more that I have started to think about it, the more and more I've probed, I'm like that guy from Game of Thrones. I have my sparrows everywhere. Yes, they're lame sparrows and they fly in the wrong direction, often into fire, but they are sparrows nonetheless. The information I'm getting is that perhaps all is not well between Liberty Media and the FIA. I don't think Liberty Media, don't take my word for it, it's just me. You know, it's my normal gossip. I'm right, 60% I'm right time of the time I'm right all the time. But the, the gossip I'm getting is Liberty are not happy with the FIA. A lot of the fan base is not happy with the FIA. The stewarding seems odd. And I'm going to say something now that is going to open me up to the sort of normal YouTube comments that I get. But I think the FIA manage things by consequence. So they look at what consequence will their decision have. And I'll go a little bit further. I'm struggling to decide if I'm going mad. People accuse me sometimes of being a... a, Lewis Hamilton fanboy or a Red Bull Verstappen hater. And I look at those comments and go, nah, no, I'm not. But you have to stop and think, well, maybe I am. I've always assumed that at some point I would go terribly mad. Who knows if that point has happened now? So in my head, I think that the stewards judge Red Bull and treat Red Bull differently to how they treat other teams. And I I look at the qualifying incident with with Verstappen and Lando Norris. And I think, yeah, okay, fair enough. But I think a lot of other drivers would have been penalised for that. I look at Perez being judged at the Singapore Grand Prix and all that time being taken, not an instant decision. Okay, well, I, I'll take the FIA on their word that they need time. They need to hear from the driver. They, they need to know what's happening. It's not about knowing the consequences of their decision. And then you get a decision like today where Leclerc has a snap judgment made against him and it's wrong. I know in my head that it's wrong, but am I just going mad? Am I being gaslit by the authorities or am I genuinely just losing my sanity? Am I just a Merck fanboy? It would be better if I was a Red Bull fan and I could sit here and I could judge all these situations as a Red Bull fan, as a, as a Verstappen fan, and I could turn to you and I could say, I don't think these decisions are, are right and I would have more credibility. So I have to go, Am I? am I actually losing it or... Is Red Bull being treated differently by the stewards? And if they are, if I'm right that they are, why is it so obvious? That's why I think I must be wrong, because it's so obvious that Red Bull are being treated differently and that the stewards are looking at how the decisions will affect Red Bull. It's so obvious that it wouldn't work, because if they did that and it was that obvious, they would surely be busted and something would be done. Therefore, Catman, I must be going mad. It's very hard to argue with the fact 
that I'm going mad. That you're going mad. Uh, (laughs) Did you start off saying to start with? No, the problem is, as you say, is that every single decision for the last few years seems to have gone in that direction. The problem is, though, Spanners, is this is not a new problem. I'm going to hark back to history again, even further back than my last one, when you had Balestra in charge. Oh, my God. When the world was black and white and there was no color in pictures. Do you remember when Snooker was in black and white? We just had to guess what colors they were. Aye, and so did the players. <laughs> but but so so it's always been transparent, and, and they are not transparent even, and they used to be called the Ferrari International Assistants. <laughs> yes. So I'm not entirely sure that this is a new phenomenon. People cried it out when, say, Mercedes got an extra tyre testing day, for example. They, there's always been this kind of bias or perceived bias towards those who are getting the decisions for them. Well, yeah, I mean, you're dealing with multiple problems here. Problem number one is it's not an unknown phenomenon for referees to favor, quote unquote, superstars when they make decisions. You're dealing with a second problem in that there is a black box of FIA decision making that has to do with winning races and not overturning that, in my opinion. This is not something I know directly, but I think circumstantially is a reasonable assumption people used to say there was a man united effect where a manchester united player going down in the penalty box was more likely to draw a penalty of course you could argue that manchester united players are more skillful in the box and draw more fouls so you know dan has already said here in the the patreon live chat yeah that is a fanboy point of view i'm opening myself up to that i'm literally saying tell me that i'm a crazed fanboy that's absolutely fine antonia I think this is a seesaw in a way because you can you'll take the problem on on the seesaw and go oh well on the one hand yes it really does look this way but on the other hand I might just be biased you know you can kind of weigh it back and forth a million times and still come out with no no you know actual decision I'm going to pose an alternative viewpoint which would be that maybe the FAA, if they're making any biased decisions, it's more in the favour of notoriety and the spectacle of the sport. And in the last couple of years, 100%. that's Red yeah. Bull. That's, yeah. that's the way of the seesaw. So loads of people in our patron chat group are agreeing with Matt that it's the superstar uh, effect. And I think that that makes sense. And Antonia, I would agree with you that it's for the show. After Abu Dhabi, that was my main contention that, yes, it was manipulated, but it wasn't manipulated for Verstappen against Lewis Hamilton. It was manipulated for that final showdown. But yeah, I think, Matt, you might you might have really struck on something there, the, the superstar effect. Yes, and, and it's problematic in a larger sense that the FIA do not employ um, a professional judge of fact, let's say, at some point in their pipeline to 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 assert these things because what happens and Antonia mentioned it earlier is the more we as fans doubt the referees the less fair the sport appears the bigger the problem as a formula 1 community we are going to have because we need referees to tell us where the boundaries are what the facts are that we can trust without that you don't have a sport I'll play the anti-Lewis card as well, because I know there'll be some people screaming at the show saying, what about all the times Hamilton got away with stuff? 
when he was winning everything. And maybe that was superstar effect as well. Maybe he got decisions in his favor when he was the big bad, when he was the Schumacher, when he was the Vettel, when he was the Hamilton. Wasn't always the case with Lewis. What season was it he went off the rails? 20, 2011? Oh, 11. against Massa? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he hit the, Massa. The year of hitting Massa badly? He, missed, yes, he I remember hit that. Massa 45 times and was penalized 60 times. So the superstar effect wasn't there then. I will say, though, actually, I don't think we can underestimate the power of an unconscious bias, you know, within the sport, generally speaking, between fans, governing bodies, you know, I'm sure the FIA are unbiased, you know, in the same way that I try to be in, you know, when you're in that kind of position, of course, especially as a referee, you do have to be unbiased. Mm. However, I'm sure there are some subtle, you know, not even prejudices, just attitudes that might mm. just tweak the direction of a decision. It, and, you know, it's not a deliberate bias. I I entirely doubt that there could ever be. However, you know, we do have to consider, it's like you said, as a fan, you know, if you are a Lewis fan as opposed to a Verstappen fan, you might be a bit harsher on Verstappen because, of yeah. course, you would be. And you could have a steward who is a fan of a particular driving style and that just happens to favour one driver or another or you know he he, he favors he or she favors a a particular approach to racing incidents and uh you know you might have a driver that's like yes I, I think you definitely always should shove a driver off and then they love verstappen and hamilton uh catman and then matt and then we'll get to the awards yeah it's, it's very hard for the same people who are saying that if a team gets a little bit farther in advance of the rest of them they'll <laughs> rubber band it to then be making similar decisions in terms of the sporting mm. conduct. So I, I think that they have an, un, an unconscious bias purely from the fact they want to keep it close. So like an underdog bias towards mm. uh, against Mercedes, for example, or against you know Red Bull back in, in the early teens, Matt. Yeah. yeah, well, on the technical side, we do see those efforts to rein in runaway championships on the engineering side. It's still, we do not have time for me to explain to you how political the process of becoming a steward is. It doesn't normally stop you. It doesn't normally stop me. But you really don't want me to walk down this path right now. Trust okay, good. Me. Even for me, it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a hike. But I will just say that inherently stewards are political. They have secondary and tertiary connections to drivers, to teams, and yet they are still stewards. We need a professional referee class in the FIA that even if they are biased, they are biased in known ways, like in baseball and strike zones, Yes, that teams can account for. Declared bias as part of a, a panel. Exactly. A, a declared bias like owning a Honda dealership, for example. No, no one was going to say that. No, I, you know, I, went, I went out of my way to not say that because I, I was aware that I was already coming across as crazy. So I hope this hasn't offended too many people. I, I actually, it was earlier in the notes. I was going to do that as a subject. I wasn't going to say anything. Then as the podium music came across, I went, do you know what? I just have to get across this fan thing that I feel like there's a, a, an unfair thing happened. I feel like I've been reasonably honest in that I understand there might be some biases feel free to point those out to us in the YouTube comments or on Twitter at MissedApexF1, at MattPT55, at SpannersReady, or feedback at MissedApex.net. Just please be nice, because on a Monday morning, I'm sleepy from having stayed up editing this show. So just be nice. Just be like, look, 
see where you're coming from, and you looked very handsome on the stream last night. However, I disagree with you on this technical point. Just a little tip for emails, Matt, just to get a, a, a more respon- uh, responsive answer. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, a little, a little, a little, uh, a little honey goes a lot further. That's all. Exactly. Do you know what? You can take someone's coat off easier with sunshine than you can with a hurricane. There you go. Clip that, Chris Stevens, for our social media. All right, let's do awards. It's time for the thing of the weekend. This is the part of the show where we're very positive, and I would like to thank my panel for hanging on and getting very close to that hour time limit that we have on this show. But I I don't regret any moment that we have uh, spent chatting about subjects on this podcast please make sure you go and follow my panel at matt pt 55 is matt on twitter that's where he does his main stuff uh catman f1 at catman f1 antonia is the one who's got way more stuff going on how's how's the tiktok going you're still doing the tiktoks yeah yeah i am going reasonably well (laughs) oh so like normally i give you a bit of grief because it's tiktoks is generally like my miming to stuff and doing memes but recently you've started doing Q and A's where people can ask Antonia stuff, and you will sit and basically do a vlog uh, answering those questions, and th- they're great. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's really nice getting everyone educated on tech and stuff because it's a bit of a headache, well, as I'm tech, sure you know. Yeah, yeah, not the tech. <laughs> the tech's boring. But tell me, what was your thing of the weekend? I'm gonna give it to Esteban Ocon. I he was just so good. <laughs> oh, Trumpets is is crying because I stole his idea, done? but no. Fantastic. I just think that we mentioned it last week, actually, with, with Perez's defence, but just the skill it, it takes yeah. to, to stay so steadfast with a seven-time world champion right behind you. I just, I think it's phenomenal and a real show of just how good of a driver we sometimes forget he is. It was it was a really lovely battle between two great drivers, Matt, wasn't it? It, it was. And, and I will share with you, I had a whole rant plan because earlier in the weekend, uh, Julian Palmer talked about how Alonso was comprehensively destroying Ocon at every race. And then Ocon out-qualified him and then put on the defense. Look, this is very similar to me in a lot of ways to what he did in Hungary against Vettel. He may not be the super fastest, but he absorbed the pressure uh, that Lewis Hamilton uh, should be eight-time world champion, except for something that was neither his nor Verstappen's fault, could bring to bear. Mm. And not every driver, Leclerc, could necessarily absorb similar. Just going to say it. Who was your thing of the weekend, Matt Trumpets? Well, I'm going to start by vlogging a performance I'm doing next October 14th. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, I get a cut briefly. Just <laughs> I put it. In, I put. I'll put it in the notes for yeah, people. Yeah. So if you want to see, want to come can, see me in New York, I can see you play trumpet in real life. In real life, shake with your a very hands. good band called the yeah, New York yeah, City yeah. Ska Orchestra. Yeah, see how lithe you are, and not a big fat guy like most people assume you are from your voice. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Antonia took my number one thing of the week. That bastard. So I'll have to go to my number two thing of the week, which is mm-hmm. our friend. Latifi scoring points. And he's gone up to 20th place. 20th. He will not finish last in the championship. Say what you will about how long or whether he deserved to be in the sport. I'm a big fan. As as per Chris Stevens, he's a genuinely nice guy. <laughs> and it, it really made me mm-hmm. happy 
to see him finally. And I know he struggled with the car and that he's had problems with the steering that they had difficulty Mm. fixing to see him pull this off and to get it done and to see Williams make such a great strategic decision. Exactly. It it just made me, it just made me happy. What a recovery losing Albon as well. And then just making the most of that with your, with your number two driver. That's not unfair to say, just making a really brave strategy call. Uh, Catman, Chris Catman Turner, you're, you're a, you're an independent businessman. You are a manager. You own a thing and you do stuff. We heal animals. Heal pets. You are me and Brad's personal go-to emergency vet. You neither volunteered nor want to do that role. But it has happened. And you're a, you're a fantastic person with a great family. Your social media is somewhat poor and lackadaisical. But if you want to follow Catman, do it. At CatmanF1. When he does tweet... It's explosive, and it's worth it. And it's never about cats, which disappoints me. Absolutely. And I was a bit disappointed when the Missed Apex account tweeted about a picture of every single person on the panel's cat, except for mine. Did Chris Stevens leave you out of that? Oh, that's so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's babe Chris. So So. people should follow you at uh, CatmanF1. But what was your thing of the weekend? So, yeah, I had a lot of things at the weekend. The Latifi thing was really good, although I will caveat that by saying that it is easier to make a bold call when you're at the back. So the, I'm going to choose the other the guy. Maneuver, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I'm going to do the exact same thing and say that Vettel was my thing of the weekend. So his qualifying was amazing. I've already talked about that, but also just his race. So, yeah, apart from lap one, where he found himself kind of backwards and off the circuit, the rest of the recovery was amazing. And then the defence at Alonso at the end was also brilliant. So it's wonderful to see, you know, two titans fighting at the twilights of their career, shall we say. Um, but it was it was a, f- a fantastic spectacle and I loved every second. We'll see. We'll see how long uh, Alonso and Lewis Hamilton go for. Lewis Hamilton said, I've got five years in me. Fernando Alonso, I'm pretty sure, is not aware that there is anything like a, a retirement age that you have to adhere to. So it's my thing of the weekend right i would like yep. to give my thing of the weekend to all the drivers i think being united in being very vocal about the safety situation in this race and for you know admitting that fear is real i'm so glad that there's none of this false bravado and toxic masculinity where you have to go ah smoke me a kipper skipper i'll be back for breakfast no you're allowed to be scared you're supposed to be scared You feel the fear and do it anyway. That's how you judge bravery. Not feeling fear is just super dumb. Here's a bad thing award. Oh no, you missed the apex. All right, now here's where we get to sit and be all judgy. Chris, who are you going to judge from your loft office? Before I go into that, I love the fact that you've now made two Chris Barry references in one episode. That Nuh-uh. is impressive. <laughs> but it was my right of way. Yeah. <laughs> so my thing that missed the apex. Smeghead. For me, there was a load of them. But for me, the favourite one for me was Christian Horner, who after in the in the cool down was saying, which championship did you prefer winning? And he said, well, I think this one was less controversially won. No, not from today. It wasn't. There were so many things that we've just talked about that were less well, controversial. Overall, they were definitely going to win the championship. To, yeah. But it shouldn't have been today. It just shouldn't have been today. And it deserved to not be on a day like today. Get today out of the way. 
cruise home, probably win in the Circuit of the Americas and have a brilliant celebration at one of the, the best tracks, just as good as Suzuka, a, a great stadium. They would have done the entertainment in an amazingly American way. It wouldn't have been some Brit, and it's Johnny Herbert, who I love, by the way, but it wouldn't just have been some Brit going, oh, by the way, you're champion now. What do you think of that? It's brilliant, isn't it? It's quite but, good. But mm. it wouldn't have been in Japan when conveniently the Honda logos have no, just reappeared No, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not. Do- <sighs> Budget cap, <laughs> cap release thing tomorrow. Not, we haven't mentioned it, so that's good. We'll continue not mentioning. Antonia, who missed the Apex for you? Again, there's a lot of things that could be mentioned. Um, I'm going to keep it on a. That's the most important thing. Well, yeah. Mm. So I'm going to keep it on a bit more of a lighter note. Again, I just think Max deserved better with his championship announcement. Mm-hmm. He deserved that joyous moment of celebrating his championship win, you know, and it was just so anticlimactic. And I think for something so huge, an uh, achievement, it was a shame. How do you not communicate? How there's no one in that FIA office realize that every single broadcaster is going on about half points how did no one at any point i i think oh this is a working theory i think they didn't know either i think that's got to be the working theory they didn't know either jonathan wheatley and mercedes worked it out on the pit wall and told them and they went oh yeah it it definitely does mean that it just explained the uh, graphics being right though I mean, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. I, you know, always assume incompetence is the first reason things have gone wrong. You're usually right. Yeah. But in this instance, the graphics were right. Yep. So, no, no, no. So, what, so the graphics guy will have been sat there yeah. going, here's what the rules are. I know that. But how do you not communicate that to the world feeds? <laughs> they I mean, put it on the world feed. <laughs> I mean, literally, it was there. And they said, we're going to ignore this because we think we're right. We did do that. We did do that. Um, So that's your missed apex is what? Oh, you were coming from a missed apex. Well, I was going to go with that, but it seems like Antonia kind of went with that. Yes. She sort of sotto voce, (laughs) as we like to say in the music world. Um, And given that, I, I, I am going to have to go with who missed the apex. I think because of the, the stewards missed the apex with the with the Leclerc decision, especially. Mm. But in general, it, it seems like it seems like someone needs to sit down and do a very thorough review of procedures and and tighten things up a bit on the stewarding side and on the control of the racetrack side. And there are a million reasons that are legitimate and plausible and understandable I can think of why we saw what we saw today. But the one thing that is inarguable is that it needs to be made better. So there you go. So no one's saying signs for ruining the original start and causing the red flag. Oh, my goodness. Signs is definitely to blame. I don't know what it's like to approach a spoon corner on a kink that would be completely flat in the dry over a puddle but i assume that it's easy and i could definitely do it and it's all science's fault yeah that winter break can't come soon enough for him he's made so many little driving errors this year particularly at the beginning of the season that just put him out of contention it's he he needs to reset to to be clear i was obviously i'm joking that seemed unlucky can i throw up an honorable mention that just reoccurred to me all right 
Haas for keeping Schumacher out so long on the full wets after the restart. Okay, we, yeah, you agree? Completely. Gosh, I, I, that didn't even cross <laughs> my mind. Yeah, I have no idea what they thought they were doing, being the only cars out. I know they said they were expecting a safety car, but I mean, really, that long? Surely they had they had laps and laps to realize, oh, maybe there's not going to be a safety car, and they still, again, they doubled down. It's I like think a, everyone needs to stop doubling down. It's an old poker player that will just not let go of that busted flush. But it's exactly. either Schumacher finishes last or he finished last. You know, that was what was going to happen. So waiting for that safety car was the only thing that they could do. And it was it was heartbreaking. His, his engineer going, you're in P3. Let's get a safety car. You're in P4, six, nine. Sorry, Mick, you're out. <laughs> Guys, devastating. we really do need to get out of here because we don't like to kiss, kick the arse out of things here on Missed Apex Podcast. We like a nice, short, sharp, succinct race review. And with so little on-track action, we really do need to get out of here early. So I'm so sorry that there's so little content for your Monday morning commute. I think we're going to have a magazine show for you on Sunday. We'll have some mailbag shows as well between now and Kota. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind. And have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.